I get to preach on the first week of the year, too. Isn't that great? The first Sunday of the year, right? Um, and what better way than to start with talking about prayer? Um, and I think it's just something that I've been reading uh, a handful of books lately all about prayer. And prayer is something, as you'll see, in my spiritual life was probably one of the most challenging, maybe for everyone, is one of the most challenging disciplines to develop. Because it's easy to, like, arguably, easy to open up your Bible and read your Bible and to make a commitment to, like, I'm going to read a chapter a day or two chapters a day. And, like, there's lots of resources that you can look into for studying your Bible. But prayer is a little bit, like, more obscure, a little bit more like, there's no, like, written form of, like, instructions other than what God gives us in the Bible, right? What Jesus gives us as far as how we can pray. So today I want to talk about prayer from the lens of why we even pray. Like, what is the point of prayer? And I asked some people this week, like, hey, why do we pray? Just out of, like, curiosity to hear what they say. And they all gave me, like, really great biblical definitions of prayer. Like, I asked one of our friends, I was like, hey, man, why do we pray? And he was like, oh, to gain intimacy with God. And I was like, yeah, that's a great, like, dictionary. Like, it's like when I asked my kids in high school, I was like, what is this? And they would tell me. I'm like, it sounds like you Googled that. Really good job. Thank you for telling me. I know exactly what you mean. Um, or I'd ask somebody else, like, hey, what is, like, why do we pray? And they go, oh, it's to... Uh, to commune with God. I'm like, yes, a great, another dictionary definition of like what it means to pray. And I think if I gave you a survey, we would all probably fill out something to that degree or to something to that idea of communing or communicating or like to gain intimacy. But I think if we had somebody looking into our lives from an outside perspective, I don't know if they would come to that conclusion watching our prayer life necessarily. And you know, and I don't think that that's necessarily there's something wrong with that, but I think that we need to have an adjustment on understanding when we enter into prayer, what is the purpose behind it. So as we start, I'm going to front load with a bunch of scripture, but I'm going to reference it throughout the message. So just stick with me as we jump into Exodus. It's Exodus 32, 1 through 14. Uh, Moses has just received the Ten Commandments from God. He's coming down from Mount Sinai, and he finds that Aaron and the Israelites have created this golden calf. And it says, when the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the golden rings and the ear, from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, chasing the hype. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. Sounds like they have good intentions. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Hmm, maybe not. Um, the, Lord Moses, uh, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they bow down to sacrifice to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them, and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. He said, Lord, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with such great power and such strong hand? 
Why let the Egyptians say, let their, their God rescue them with evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. I will give them all this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster that he had threatened to bring on his people. So Moses, um, not being like very, a very prominent figure in the Bible that we all know, but wasn't exactly like a perfect person, right? Moses killed a dude and like buried him in the sand. Um, he, he disobeyed God. But in this prayer, Moses somehow changed God's mind. It's interesting. It's not as though, again, Moses doesn't necessarily seem as though he has the authority to change God's mind, but why does God change his mind through prayer? So let's look at another story where somebody attempts to change God's mind, but God refuses. In Matthew 30, or 26, 36 through 56, says, then Jesus went to them to the olive road called Gethsemane, and he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will be done, not mine. Then he returned to his disciples and found them asleep. He said, Peter, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give him to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Then Jesus left them a second time and prayed, My father, if this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. When he returned to them again, he found them sleeping, for they couldn't keep their eyes open. So he went to pray a third time, saying the same thing again. Then he came to the disciples and said, Go ahead and sleep. Have your rest. But look, the time has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Up. Let's be going. Look, my betrayer is here. So then we have Jesus, the one person on earth who has ultimate authority, who failed to change God's mind. So it's interesting that we see these two different figures, one of them changing God's mind, one of them not, seemingly with two different levels of authority. And so that leads me into our message today of like, well, why do we pray when it seems as though Sometimes God listens and sometimes God doesn't, or sometimes God answers and sometimes God doesn't. So a little bit of background on me. I talked about this last time I, I spoke, but um, I did not grow up going to church consistently. I would go, I was the you know, Easter Christmas kid, right? Um, and we would go only if we were in North Carolina to visit my great-grandmother, and we would go to this tiny little Lutheran church that my great-grandfather helped build out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and those of you who are familiar with Lutheranism, it's very similar to Catholicism, minus like they don't think the Pope's that cool, right? Like they don't, they don't revere the Pope, but like they, the, the priest wears very like elegant robes and everyone dresses. My dad always wore a suit. My mom always wore a dress. It was a lot of cardio. It was a lot of like get up, sing a hymn, sit down and stand up and pray and then get back down and then you stand up again. Um, and as a child, that was very confusing for me. I was like, I don't know what we're doing in here. Um, but the only time that I heard prayer in church was when the pastor would pray or when the, peace, the priest would pray. And it was more so like he would lead us through the Lord's Prayer and we would like recite it back line by line. Um, other than that, like there was no praying. There's lots of singing and then preaching and then we would say like the Lord's Prayer and that was it. The only other time I heard prayer in my personal life, like outside of church, was something to the extent of like, 
please God, don't let this Georgia State trooper pull me over and give me a ticket. Or like, please God, don't let my muffins that I forgot about in the oven be burnt. Like, you know, it was my mom praying to God to rescue her from some sort of awkward circumstance or situation. So, as a child, I never prayed because it seemed to me that like prayer was reserved for either the hyper-spiritual, qualified religious leaders, or it was like asking God to like save you in some sort of like unfortunate circumstance, right? So I, I never prayed as a kid. And then as I grew up and I, and I got saved and I started going to church, um, my first, the first church I went to was a Pentecostal church. So um, the first service I went to, people all of a sudden were like falling out on the ground, talking in tongues, everyone's praying all at the same time. And I'm like, this is weird, this is weird. This makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and even coming from like a strict, like kind of Southern background and going to Lutheran church, you know, in Pentecostal, like everyone's praying. And so like, I'd hear this person praying and somebody over here would start praying and I would be like, oh, they're not done yet, okay? You need to, like, you're interrupting. Like, they're not done talking yet, okay? And so it was just very odd for me. But I went from this, like, only the priest prays and it's very structured to this, like, everybody praying all at once about all sorts of things and all sorts of languages. And so I was kind of confused as to like, seeing that juxtaposition, I was like, uh, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point behind all of this? Because I'm confused at like, what is the aim of prayer, right? As a kid, I was just like, or as a young man, I was just like, I don't really understand why we're doing this. And so my mentor at the time, Todd Barstad, he pointed me to the Lord's Prayer. Thankfully, we have instructions from God on how to pray, right? And by looking at how God directs us to pray, we can understand why to pray as well, because through those instructions of how, we understand why. And if you look at the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us of our trespasses, we forgive others of our trespasses, um, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Yes? Okay. Um, you can kind of break that into like three chunks. I mean, if you want to be really analytical, you can go line by line, but for the sake of this sermon, let's just stick with three. Um, it, can st it starts with praise, then there's repentance, and then there's ask. So praise, repent, and ask. And there's a reason why we start out with praise. There's a reason why we start out with, Father, hallowed be your name, or like, holy be your name, honored be your name, right? Um, and so when I started learning how to pray, I'm a very structured person. Like, when I'm tasked with doing something, I love people telling me exactly what you want me to do. Like, I'm very much a... If Brie asks me what to do, I'm gonna ask her a thousand details about like, well, what about this? And like, what is it? Because I feel like I need to know exactly what you expect of me, right? I wanna know what you expect of me so that I do it right, right? And so when, I'm when I was starting to pray and starting to learn how to pray, I started following all of these like books or these mentors who were going through these like cute little acronyms about how to remember to pray. And all of them started with reverence. Like all of them started with recognizing God's authority and who he is and thanking him for who he is. So I developed a little phrase that even to this day, all of my prayers that I start by myself, um, I say the exact same phrase every single time. I always say, dear God, thank you for life today. And I've said that for a decade because I just wanted to come up with something that would start my prayers before I got to my little to-do list or whatever. Like I wanted to start my prayer by saying, dear God, like thank you for life. Thank you that like 
the breath in my lungs, the organs in my body, the blood in my veins, the whatever complicated stuff goes on inside of my mind that makes me have consciousness is all because of you. And without that, I would not exist. So Lord, thank you just that I woke up and I have consciousness today. And that's a great way to start your prayers. Like having that, that, that foundation and that rootedness into before I even start praying, I'm going to root myself into thanking God and recognizing his authority because otherwise, why am I praying, right? And so that was great. I would start all my prayers with, dear God, thank you for life today. And I got so good at it that it became kind of like a reflex. And so when it became a reflex, it didn't become impactful anymore. It would just be like, okay, dear God, thank you for life today. Yeah, anyway, um, Bree's really getting on my nerves today. And so, like, I really need you to, like, help me or, like, help her or, like, whatever needs to happen, Lord. Your will be done, obviously. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, very quickly, it can turn into a box to check. Like, I, I love having structure like that because I think I, it helps me know what I need to do right. Ultimately, that structure should be transforming our hearts, not just our habits, right? Like, ultimately, I should get to the point where, like, I'm not saying, dear God, thank you for life today because I know that's what I need to be doing because I just have this overwhelming sense of gratitude that I can't help but start my prayers off with, dear God, thank you for life today. And not to mention, I think that gives us a better perspective on what we're about to say. I think it puts our hearts in a better position to pray when we recognize and connect ourselves with God, right? Because... I'm an only child, and Brie, and Brie will tell you, I talk to myself all the time because my parents worked late, and I was alone, and I had nobody to talk to, so <laughs> I would just talk to myself. And even now, I'll be in my closet, like, picking my shoes or my shirt, and I'll be talking to myself, and Brie will come around the corner and go, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm praying, leave me alone. <laughs> Stop judging me. Um, I talk to myself constantly. If I'm, if I'm cooking, I'm talking to myself through what steps to do next. And a lot of the times, I can become a sounding board for my own problems, right? And I can start talking to myself like, oh, this is bad. This is good. Bree and I had to get new tires for her car the other night, and I'm going, oh, gosh, we have to spend money on tires. Like, what are we going to do about tires? Like, oh, it's money. And, uh, and then what if my car needs tires? And then, oh, not to mention, my car was acting funny the other day, and like, maybe I need this too. And so when we start our prayers off with, Father, hallowed be your name. Rather than becoming our own sounding board and looking in this mirror and telling ourselves what's wrong, we look to God and we say, God, these are the concerns that I have, but Lord, I'm placing them on the altar and I'm trusting that, that whatever's gonna happen through this circumstance, you're growing me. You're growing me in trust. You're, you're providing for me financially. You're providing for me emotionally. It no longer is you just looking in a mirror stressing yourself out, right? So we must root ourselves in that praise first and foremost so that it gives us perspective on how we move forward. And second, we have repentance. Um, I think repentance is kind of obvious, like we're all sinners who need to repent. And we do have that ultimate salvation through the death of Christ. We are ultimately saved. However, through that salvation, we have, we have a ticket into heaven through Christ, but that doesn't transform us into perfect beings automatically, right? So we still continue to sin regardless of our salvation. Though we may grow more out of the intentional sins that we would if we were not believers, we still find ourselves just being imperfect, capable of sinning. So we must continue to repent because a lot of the times our pride will sneak in in really clever ways. For example, we justify our sin. 
Um, you know, I, I, we go to the store, and like, this is, this is not me, I swear, I don't do this, but you know. <laughs> we go to the store, and maybe, maybe the checkout person at HEB is kind of snippy. And so, yeah, I snatched my receipt from them, because I'm like, but I'm justified in that, because they treated me poorly, so why am I going to treat them nicely back, right? They treated me so bad, and I was trying to be nice, but then they had an attitude, so yeah, I snatched my receipt from them. That is your pride justifying your actions because you have this perspective that you deserve to be treated a certain way. Absolutely. That's, that's like, no, I'm, I'm hearing you. Please talk to me. I, I wish Keisha was here right now. Gosh, I love hearing Keisha yell out at me. It just encourages me. Um, um, yeah, it's like we start justifying these little things out of our pride rather than recognizing it's not us. It's not our mission that we're, sitting, that we're seeking out right here. So we have to still repent, because even those little things become a lifelong problem of like, well, I don't let people talk to me. Man, Bree and I have been watching um, Married at First Sight. Oh, my gosh. Ooh. Married at First Sight, which, if you don't know me, like, I don't really watch, I watch a lot of YouTube. I'm not really like a series person, but 90 Day Fiance and Married at First Sight are incredible. <laughs> They're so good. And there's this guy on there, I'm not going to say his name, you can look it up if you want to, but um, there's this guy on there who's just, how do I say this from the pulpit? He's just kind of, he's just kind of lame. Like, he's kind of lame. I'm not a big fan of him, and Bree and I were sitting there last night watching it, and I'm just like, I told Bree, and I'll just be real transparent, I was like, somebody needs to punch this dude in the face. Like, like this guy, oh, and I find myself doing that and going, man, I just, I love all of y'all, and I just want to bless y'all and be with y'all. And then I watch those shows, and I'm like, oh, I want to punch this guy in the face. <laughs> and I'm like, and what if he showed up to our church next week? I'd be like, God bless you, brother. <laughs> like, we can find ourselves justifying those actions and those feelings because we have some sort of, like, prideful expectation on how we need to be treated or spoken to, right? But ultimately, we need to submit to God's plan, not our own plan. And that leads us to our final portion with this ask. And this is where we're really going like, to get into the meat of why we pray. Um, as you all know, I'm a former teacher. And in, during my teaching career, I, I began to pray this particular prayer every morning. And it was usually through gritted teeth while I rubbed my eyes. And I said, God, please make these kids behave today. And it was like, oh, God, please just let nobody cuss me out. At least to like fifth period. Come on. Um, let nobody have some sort of drama that they spilled nail polish on their new pants or that, you know, they, they brought their Chromebook ready and they're studying, like they didn't forget their pencils or like um, I didn't grade their assignment that they turned in at 1 a.m. last night and now they're mad at me. Like, can we just keep the drama to a minimum, Lord? Like, make all my kids behave, like calm their hormones down, lift their knowledge up and like let them get ready to listen. I, yes, my wonderful lesson I've prepared for them. And so then I would go to school and it would be chaos, and it would be horrible. <laughs> and I would be like, oh, these kids, these kids, it's always these kids, they need to change. Change them, Lord. And then, through being married, um, you know, you quickly learn, like, I shouldn't be praying for them to change, I need to learn to change myself. Like, I should be praying about myself to change in the midst of the circumstance, right? So then, I, sh I was like, all right, God, I got you. I'm gonna shift my prayer a little bit. And so I was like, then, God, give me supernatural patience. Like. <laughs> Give it to me like right now, God. I'm ready for it. Give it to me. Bless me with it. Make me Mr. Rogers right now, Lord. Come on. <laughs> like, I want to be able to walk in that schoolhouse and like, doesn't matter what's happening. And I'm just like, it's all good. 
not a big deal. Oh, you think that? You know, that's fine. You can think, hey, you know what? It's okay. We all have bad days, buddy. It's okay. And I wanted to have this like supernatural Mr. Rogers kindness and patience. So I'd pray for that. And then I'd go to school and it would be chaos and it would be awful. And then like it was fun. It's funny now looking back, but at the time I started getting really indignant. And I was like, God, this is not, this is not fair. Like I'm asking for a like biblical request. Like this is a fruit of the spirit to be patient. Why are you not making me patient? I want to be patient. God, what I want is a biblical thing. Like, give it to me. Come on. Like, why can I not just be patient? Make me patient. And through that, I have this reflection. Um, my mother has a small business where she, like, makes cookies and cakes out of her home. And she's done that for, like, 30 years or something like that. She made the wedding cake for my second grade teacher. I mean, she's, she's done it for years and years and years and has lots of experience. But... As a kid, when she would make cakes, it was like a massive ordeal, like very stressful for her. Um, my dad and I were not allowed in the kitchen. We would just look at each other and be like, going fishing, going fishing, okay. And we would just leave or we'd go get food or something. But we were not allowed in the kitchen while my mom was making cakes because it was just such a, a stressful process for her. You know, she's making people's birthday cakes, she's making wedding cakes, and she just has this expectation to like do well and to make a good product for her customers, right? And so, I mean, I remember one time she came home, she was making this wedding cake, and it was like on those little plastic pillars, like one of the layers was, and she was taking it to the wedding venue, but it was so hot outside that the icing was melting, and it was like sinking in and tilting, and like the little things on the side were melting off, and so she came home like in tears, and she's like trying to put it in the fridge and freaking out about like, what am I going to do? Like, I have to be there in like an hour, and I have to make sure the cake is fine, and so I just watched my mom struggle through that process as a kid. And then I remember once Bri and I moved here, Bree and I got married, and I went and visited my parents one summer. Uh, I was in the kitchen with my mom, and she was making a cake, and we were just chit-chatting back and forth. And I realized, like, she's pretty, like, she's chill, just making her cake and chatting with me. And I was asking her, like, oh, is this, like, just a friend's cake? She's like, no, it's for a wedding. I was like, oh, cool. Um, is it like your friend's wedding? She's like, no, 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 it's for a client. I don't know them, but like my friends know them. I was like, oh, cool. I was like, is it pretty intense? She's like, oh, yeah. She's going through how many layers it is and the filling and da, 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 da. And it seems like it's the exact same amount of complexity as the ones I used to see her build back in the day. And what I realized is that my mom didn't all of a sudden have this supernatural blessing of talent and ability to like be patient and to, and to like talk her way through her own anxiety but God blessed her with opportunities to grow in that trust and that patience and that anxiety. And I realized that's exactly what I needed from school as well, is not like God's going to all of a sudden make me Mr. Rogers overnight, but I'm praying, God, please give me patience. And he's like, I'm trying to. Like, will you please stop being a jerk and like be patient for once? Like, I'm like, okay, fine. So I started going to school with the mindset of not expecting perfection from myself, but expecting that in the midst of these circumstances, I'm going to trust what God is telling me is what I need. Not that like I need everything to look the way I expect it to right now, but what God's growing me in is ultimately gonna make me a better person who's gonna be able to handle this better in the future. And again, not that I'm perfect, I mean, but up, up until my last day in school, kids are, you know, kids are kids, teenagers are teenagers. But God has done a dramatic work in me as far as being patient in the midst of circumstances, losing my pride of myself and being able to just hear people, you know, because again, a lot of the things that teachers struggle with specifically, and I think we could all hear this, is like 
teenagers are like trying to learn how to live their life and to like understand who they are, a lot of the times this lashing out is just like, it's not personal. Like they're just trying to learn who they are. Like it's, they, these kids don't know me personally. They don't, they, even if the kids are like, I hate you. I'm like, you don't know me. Like you can't hate me. You don't know me. But they're lashing out because they're trying to learn. And we need to see hurt people like that. Like they don't hate us. They, they hear we're Christians. And they're like, oh, I hate Christians. It's like you don't even know me. You know, they know an idea of you or they have this perspective, but we need to be patient with those people too because they need love just as much as we do. So, gosh, I've just like not looked at my notes at all. So we think in those circumstances that, or we think in those instances that we need deliverance from our circumstances, but what we really need is a resilience on, or reliance on God to bring us through those circumstances, through growth, right? And that's what prayer is. It's that daily bread that we receive as we pray. It's God giving you what you need that day, whether that's patience, whether that's understanding, whether that's insight, whatever. And so through Moses' prayer, the reason that Moses' prayer was answered is because rather than conjuring up this ideal situation that he has contrived in his mind, is that he calls on a promise of God. And we see in Exodus uh, where were we, 32, 13, it says, Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give them all this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. Moses isn't like, we already know he wasn't a great speaker. He's, he, he didn't come up with this great convincing speech, and God's finally like, all right, I guess. But like, he's calling upon a promise that God's already made. He's like, no, 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 God, don't do these things because this is what you've promised. This is what your word says. And we should do the same thing in prayer. When we're praying, we need to, we need to imagine, are, are our requests align with God's will? And it's easy to look at the, the Bible and call upon the promises of God because these are things that he has promised to do. And those promises are much better than these things that we think we need right now. Um, Hezi is in this like, I need stage. Everything is I need, I need. I think I was in the garage, like cutting up boxes with my box cutter. And he goes, what's that? I go, it's a box cutter, it's for cutting things. He goes, I need it. I go, no, you really don't need the razor blade, okay? You don't need it. And he was, and another time, I think we have like a little inflatable hot tub. And so I was like putting chlorine in it. And he goes, what's that? I go, it's chlorine. It's used to like clean the water. And he goes, I need that. And I go, you definitely don't need chlorine, okay? You don't need this. And that is such a perfect picture of us sometimes. I think sometimes we're maybe too proud to view ourselves as children in God's eyes, but I think a lot of times it's an accurate description. You know, we're sitting there going, I need it. I need it. And God's like, no, you really don't. And I'm telling you, you don't need it. And, you know, I can't, like Hezekiah doesn't have the mindset to where I can go, hey, Hezzy, you really don't need this box cutter because this is a razor blade, and this razor blade can cut you, and if it cuts you, you can bleed, and if you bleed out, you could die. Like, he doesn't have the mental capacity to understand that explanation. Sometimes he just needs no, or like, no, it's dangerous, right? And I think we feel like we're entitled to some sort of explanation from God. And it's like, God, I need this now. And he's like, no. And you're like, well, why not? And he's like, you, you cannot comprehend me. <laughs> like, I'm incomprehensible. I am God. You know, and it, sometimes he will give us an explanation. Sometimes he gives us leading. But I think if you find yourself at that point, if you feel like you're asking over and over and over again, and you're not getting an answer, it's either no and you need to move on, 
Or just ask yourself, like, am I aligning this request with God's will? Like, is this something that God would want me to pray for? Or am I just desperate and scared and upset? And maybe this just needs to be an adjustment. But then we look, you know, at an example where sometimes it's difficult to keep praying because we don't feel like our prayers are being heard or being answered. And so then we look back at the example of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus prays three times that God would pass the cup from him. Um, and I love, I love this passage because it says Jesus ultimately does say, God, pass this cup from me, but your will be done ultimately submits to God's authority, then goes back to his disciples, chastises them for not being awake, and goes back and it says he prayed the exact same thing again. How many times, I know, I know I've done this quite often, I've been in such distress that I'm praying to God and I'm saying, God, please do this. I feel like this is what I need or this is what I want, but God, ultimately your will be done. And then I walk away and I find myself in the midst of that fear, that anxiety, just overwhelmed with emotion. And so I go right back and I go, okay, God, I'm just double checking here. Um, this is what I want and what I think I need, but again, your will be done. You know? and, I, and it's comforting to see Christ doing that because it humanizes him. It helps us see just how he experienced the same kind of anxiety. He was to the point of sweating blood and crying he also feels that pain when it comes to communing with God and trying to understand how we commune with God. Jesus had the ultimate authority to pray for what he was praying for, but it was not aligned with God's will. And by going through with God's plan, even through his pain and suffering, he ultimately became the savior of the world. So why do we pray? Because we have access to the creator of the universe who knows what's best for us and wants to give us what's best for us. It brings him joy to provide for us. So by praying, we commune with him in a way that sustains us and grows us through the trials. Because praying, prayerful or not, your trials will come. So it's whether or not you're willing to recognize God's plan is ultimately greater than your own plan. God is far more interested in what he can do through us than what he can do for us.